Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Pop Strickland. I'm your host, Shwinifu, and this is episode 339. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stacey. That is at Stacey Patton and Stacey Patton 89 on Twitter. Stacey, how are you doing uh, on this Monday afternoon? Uh, doing pretty well. I know what it's like now to see a good quarterback completely self-destruct and throw 85 interceptions against the Jets. So we have that in common now. We do. We do have that in common. Um, but before we get started, not talking about that, but talking about basketball. Before we get started, I just make a few announcements. The first being that Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strickland on Instagram, posting all kinds of new content on there. Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you, where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you've not done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That'd be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise available on our website. You can go to our website at www.thestrick.land. You'll find a link on there. It'll take you to the merchandise store. You can find t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, water bottles, you name, it, you name it. We've got it. Check it out again. That is on our website. And then the Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland. This podcast that I every Friday with Prez. You also get access to Takes from Obvious Bozos, our newest podcast hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, alongside Zach Blatter. They take your takes from our Discord channel. And they grade those takes to see how hot exactly those takes are. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's the $90 tier that gets you access to Twitter on my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. And now you get access to Strictly NFL, our newest podcast. It is about the NFL. You did not guess that already. That is hosted by Constantine and Jeffrey Rasmussen, who you are familiar with from our rundown show post game. You also get access to nothing else, actually. That's it. That's all you get access to. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. This comes with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on podcast recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. And that's to be possible without you. And none of this would be possible without Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your more information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile, mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code Believe, B L E A V. To receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but online where the game starts. Um, yeah, so uh, the Knicks played a preseason game against the Timberwolves since the last time we did this. Um, I don't know. I- I'm sorry. I'm just like very, it was a lot more intense for sure than whatever that first Celtics game was, but I kind of just don't really care about this. And I know I, I-, I would put it this way I took more out of that for the Timberwolves than I do with the Knicks. And I think this is kind of like where I don't want to say this team is boring because it's not boring to me, but this part of the season is boring to me because it's not the season. And I already have a pretty good idea of how this team is going to play. 
I already have a pretty good idea of what their strengths and weaknesses will be. And therefore, a lot of this is kind of academic to me. Um, you know, the bench didn't play great, but on aggregate, I'm not really worried about them all of a sudden not being a good bench. You know, some of the stuff that we've seen from Tibbs has been a little bit weird. Like, you know, he hasn't played quickly in Brunson together. Is that because he's not going to do that anymore? I don't think so. I think that's probably because he already knows how they play well. Like, he knows how they play together. Uh, I think his focus right now is more about the specific groups. So maybe, like, starters and bench unit, right? And, like, the bench is a little bit more steady, has a little more continuity, I think, in some ways, weirdly, even though they kind of have the one change changing piece. Um, you know, the starters, I think, will always be a little bit more clunky because it is your three high-usage guys. So I think they always have a little bit more to kind of do to get together on the same page, where I think the bench is a little bit more kind of clear hierarchy, even with DiVincenzo coming in for Obi. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I've... Again, like, the most important thing for me has just been don't get hurt. And then aside from that, you know, I like some of the micro stuff I've seen from individual players. I like to see RJ driving the way he has. I like that Julius's effort defensively and kind of how willing he's been to let other guys get going offensively without hunting for his own uh, own offense has been good. Um, Mitch has looked really nice. I think Hartenstein looks really good again. And and the big thing with Hartenstein is last year we obviously saw him get up to a slow start. Uh, we found out later on that he was dealing with an Achilles issue. Uh, he looks as good as he did to end last season, he looks that good now. So that's a really nice kind of little boost for us at the start of the year. DiVincenzo's had a, a nice, you know, couple cameos, I guess you can call them. His first two appearances, I think he's looked pretty decent. We saw Josh Hart kind of get on the floor for the first time in preseason. Um, just a one little stint. But, like, I don't know. I'm not I'm, I'm not saying it's it's not boring to watch them play basketball, but it is boring to, like, I don't really care to analyze these games or analyze much about them because I don't think they matter for this team. Like, I think they matter for some teams, which is why I said I think it matters more for Minnesota. Like, if I'm a Minnesota fan, I'd be excited that, you know, our depth looks good. Uh, the Rudy Gobert and Cat pairing looks a little bit more promising than it did. And, you know, the depth, like, again, the depth is better than I assumed. So for teams like that, I think that have more moving pieces that had less of a, let's call it, Good. I mean, they didn't have as good a season as the Knicks did. I think they had a lot of shit go on last year, so they're still kind of developing things. For those type of teams, I think it matters more. Like I, I watched Atlanta uh, a little bit in preseason, and I'm like pretty encouraged by what. I, if I was a Hawks fan, I'd be really encouraged by what I've seen because it just looks different from what you know uh, was not so great about them last year. In the last couple of years, to be honest, the ball moving around, Trey's playing off ball more. All that stuff is great. But for us, like, I'm just like, yeah, no, this looks exactly like what I thought. I hope nobody gets injured and I'm good to go. I, I don't know if you have any, like, deep observations about the next preseason, but for me, I just can't really muster much, like, oh, this is, like, it, the, like people are like, going crazy. Oh, Evan looks good. Maybe he'll be, like, Evan can look as good as he wants. I really have no interest in playing him. And if we're going to be honest, I'm looking, I dude. Like, you know. Is he? I don't know about that. Um, but like, and quite honestly, like they didn't sign Dante DiVincenzo to really like consider Evan Fournier playing here. Like Evan Fournier exists here as an expiring contract and as somebody that will fill in if we absolutely need minutes to be filled in. But 
Um, it, I'm happy that he's hitting some shots. Good for him, but I don't really give a fuck about what I'm seeing from him at all. I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be a whole lot to learn. Um, for me, I there's things I would have wanted to see. The Knicks are going into the season with um, their primary stated plan being a 6-4 dude at the backup four. Um, both you and I have said that's a development we're in favor of. Um, with everyone healthy, we just haven't gotten to see that. Um, I hope that the preseason minutes have added to the idea for Tibbs, if he wasn't convinced that Jericho Sims the four is not pretty sustainable. Um, in terms of things I've seen that are encouraging, um, when RJ did play the four in that lineup, um, you know, they, they were doing a good job throwing outlet passes, getting out in transition. Um, I'm going to throw this back to you, though. DiVincenzo, I think, is supposed to be more than a cameo guy. Um, and it does seem like that second unit has struggled a little bit to get him involved, and that's not the first time this has happened. I mean, last year, one of the most important guys come playoff time was Isaiah Hartenstein, and it took him, part of that was the injury, but it took him some time to really um, not just get incorporated in the offense himself, but be able to bring his unique flavor. Um, do you think there will be that kind of adjustment period for DiVincenzo? Um, no, I mean, like, I, when I said cameo, I just meant in the sense that, like, he had just made his first two appearances. I I, I don't imagine he's gonna have a no. I, I know, and but like yeah. he hasn't been a big part of the offense, right? Or it doesn't yeah, seem like they've really like. What I think the the ideal, if we're dreaming, it's like you know, especially how well you you feel like it should work between him and quickly with both being able to you know do some things with the ball and be off the ball and push the pace and move without it and and see two steps ahead. Um, we haven't seen that yet, right? Do you think there's going to be an adjustment period there? Or? Um, I mean, I'm sure there will be just cause that's like the nature of how this stuff works. Um, but I would not be too concerned with like, you know, how long is that going to take? Um, I think he's, I mean, the nature of like how the Knicks run their offense is there are just going to be times where the ball doesn't move that much because the basis of the entire offense is like pick and roll initiation. And then, you know, if that guy can't create an advantage, you swing it to somebody else who ISOs or runs their own pick and roll or whatever it is. Like, it, it's a lot of just individual uh, creation. So, like, I, I think that is just kind of inherent in it at times. Um, what I would say is, like, DiVincenzo's never really been, like, a super... He's just not a guy who gets a lot of usage. Um, that's really not like a big component of what he's been in as a player. Um, it's just not been, a, it's not been like part of his nature. I think for his career, I'm just looking it up now. Um, so for his career, his career usage is at 16.6 last year with Golden State. Uh, I mean, which you would probably argue, I, I would certainly argue is the best year of his career. He had, he was at 15.1. So, like, can he be more involved? For sure. Like, I do think they need to just move the ball a little bit more. But, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried about that part of it. Like, I think I think it'll figure itself out. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, I also think they're clearly trying to – I don't know if it's 
active or just like these are, you know, now players have adapted to each other and they kind of understand what he has. But it does seem like they're making a more concerted effort to uh, run the offense at times, not the offense, but I guess like running sets through Hartenstein, letting him initiate more. Uh, that seems to have been, I don't know, again, I don't know if it's a focus, but it's definitely something that I've noticed happening in the first two games more than it did for most of last season. Um, so I, I think that's really encouraging. And, and honestly, I think that's something that they need to lean into. Um, you know, will they stick with it? I don't know. I, I just think it's something to, to definitely, um, it's, it's, it's something worth pursuing if nothing else. Yeah. Um, I think you've talked about this a bit. Um, you know, how would you compare, I mean, do you think it could be something like how he used Joachim Noah on the Bulls? Um, you know, how, what do you kind of see the role for Hartenstein on this team in the second unit? And, and um, I mean, first of all, does Jericho Sims being any part of that equation at the four kind of destroy that? But two, like, what do you kind of, what are, what's your kind of vision there? In terms of what again? I'm sorry. The role of uh, Hartenstein on the offense. Yeah, I mean, I just think that he's a guy that you want at the top of the key, at the elbows, uh, running, you know, getting guys moving off him, having him run dribble handoffs, having him find cutters. Like, I think that's really what you want to see more of with him. Uh, the shooting, like, I know he had a three in this game, but just doesn't, I mean, I'm not really convinced that's ever going to be a huge part of what you really want from him offensively, and that's fine. I don't think that detracts really much at all from him as a player. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just think, I think the way they're using him actually right now in this preseason so far has been really encouraging. Hopefully they stick with it. Um, and, and that's something that they stick with come the regular season. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy with what I've seen from him. And honestly, I think it's like the right amount of what you want for him. Um, I don't think you want to treat him like he's Nikola Jokic, but he is a good passer, and I do think it behooves you to to utilize that, um, especially like with that bench unit. You know, yes, when RJ plays the four, they have two creators, and with him and quickly. But like, let's say you have to play Grimes in that unit and Josh Hart's at the four. Let's you know, whatever it is. Like, there will be situations where it is just quickly, or it is just Brunson, or something, and and having another guy that can at least alleviate that. Even if you have Brunson and quickly, or Brunson and and RJ, or quickly in RJ, whatever, it's always good to have another variation to throw in there. So um, I think that's pretty encouraging, and, and I would be, I mean, I, I am to, encouraged by what I've seen. And you'd have to say, every one of those players with the possible exception of Brunson, you are pro are probably more dangerous getting the ball on the move or, um, you know, open with the ability, like, quickly in RJ in particular, right? They've... I mean, RJ has taken massive leaps in terms of his creation and all that. Um, quickly is obviously a good on-ball creator, but with the exception of Brunson, I think you want the like they're almost better without the ball in their hands if if they can play off a guy like Hardenstein. Um, kind of on that note, um, RJ Barrett's done a great job getting to the line. Um, I haven't focused on his defense as much. But he's been getting to the rim. He just looks a lot more comfortable in mid-range, too. I think what, he, what we started to see is, you know, he's a lot better at taking that kind of bump in the mid-range and floater range. 
and getting off a shot, and even if he doesn't get the foul call, being able to make it. Um, what are your thoughts on RJ Barrett? You know, are you taking much away from that? You know, I know, I know you said you're not taking much away from this preseason, um, but and, and he hasn't shot the ball well. He shot the ball well from the free throw line, but it seems like his process is better. Is this still kind of a, a wait and see thing for you, or, or do you think that, um, you know, um, you know, are you taking any way from, anything away from that? Um, I, I would say I've taken away that like he looks more comfortable and decisive to me when he's driving right now, which is good. I thought last year a lot of his issue was just like he was just too methodical, slow, cautious, whatever you want to call it. He just was not decisive when he got the ball. Um, so I like seeing what I'm seeing from him right now. Um, I, I would, I would just say this like. I think you have to be really careful reading too much into one, like, is it obviously I'd much rather see him shoot well from the free throw line than shoot poorly from the free throw line. So that's really good. But more importantly than just, you know, is he going to sustain this level of free throw shooting? What I'm more interested in is like, will he sustain this level of getting to the line? Because I always feel preseason can be weird in this way where like reps have these new points of emphasis and they're trying to like, iron out their own shit so you can benefit from that and i've seen some really weird like free throw to- totals individual free throw to- totals in preseason i think kaminga had like a shit ton yesterday like it, it's it can be all over the place and and i think it's just you know i don't know if we need to assume that he's about to you know get like a prime harden whistle or something right now but i if he plays the way he's playing, I do think he will get to the line a bit more. And even if he doesn't, I think it's he'll benefit from it. I think his shot selection will improve as a result. And um, yeah, like I, I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy with what I've seen from him. He's definitely not forcing shots as much. It doesn't feel like. Would I like to see him shoot better from the field? Of course, like of of course I would. That's that's always optimal but like he shot well from the field in the last two preseasons and he's gotten up to slow starts so I, what does that actually mean i mean i think even the third year his third year he got up to a really bad start i remember to the point where i was like well is, is this guy ever gonna hit a shot again and then he obviously caught fire that year but the point is like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna try to be uh to learn from my past mistakes i would i i don't think i'm taking too much away from like is he shooting well or is he shooting poorly? Like that's not important to me. What's important to me is just how he is playing. And I do think how he's playing for the most part is good. He's taken some weird, he took like a couple of weird step backs and whatever, but like, yeah, like maybe this is the the time of the year to try it. Right. If you're going to try it, this is it. This is a good time to do it as any. Um, so I'd rather he get it out of his system now, if that's something that he needs to do. But um, for the most part, I would say like, I've, I've been definitely encouraged by what I've seen. I don't know that the defense has been like amazing, but it's definitely more locked in than it was for long parts of regu- the regular season last year. And that's honestly enough. Like if him and Julius are just more locked in defensively, that that should be a pretty significant improvement given how bad they were um, individually and, and kind of how that trickled down into various uh, lineups with, with those guys. So um, I'm I'm definitely encouraged by what I've seen from RJ for sure. So, um, oh, 
Stacy is uh, he is buffering. So we are in the buffer zone, Stacy. I'm, I'm just gonna go here. Um, you know, I, I would say like it's kind of interesting in the sense of I've been encouraged by what I've seen from RJ in the sense of um, he is he he is kind of taking what the defense is giving him in an aggressive way, whereas I feel like Julius is. He is taking what the defense is giving him, but he's been a lot more willing to move off the ball and defer to others. I don't think he's really forced much at all. Like, sure, has he had a couple of possessions where you're like, what the hell are you doing? Yes. Um, he went one from four from the free throw line against Timberwolves. He also went 0 of three from inside the arc. Obviously, you would like him to make more of those shots, but uh, I, I think the way he's playing is actually pretty encouraging, and, and defensively, he's been flat-out good from what I've seen so far. Um, you know, Now, is that a thing that he's going to sustain it, it going into the, the season, and that's something that he's going to sustain through the season? I don't know, but again, like the bar from him defensively, and I want to say like very specifically defensively, because offensively last year, he was amazing. If he had the same season, if he has the same season offensively he did last year, not only will I be surprised, but I'll be very, very happy about it. Um, you expect but, regression? Yeah, a little bit. Not like I don't think he's going to crater. I don't think he's going to pull a you know twenty one, twenty two. But it wouldn't 20, surprise 20, me. Twenty one or whatever. Twenty two. Yeah. yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's just not. Maybe the the numbers might be there, but some of like the. I mean, he had like some. He had like a month where he was just scorching last year. Um, some of that stuff I could see not playing out the same way. But I think the easiest way for him to offset any potential aggression is exactly what he's doing. Uh, you know, it is it is making quicker decisions with the ball. It is just competing defensively. And if he does those things, like you know, uh, the benefit will not just come to him, but it also benefit the team. And I think other guys individually will will benefit from it in terms of their production okay um yeah so I, i'm just like very kind of, yeah um that that would be probably the biggest takeaway i have in terms of what i've seen that's good from julius and and just kind of like what i've liked from seeing from him yeah i mean him and rj because i think both those guys had something very, very significant to improve upon coming into the season. In RJ's case, more than just one thing. Um, and in, in fairness, in Julius' case, it's more than, than one thing. But in terms of what they have shown, I, I would say that they've shown some really positive signs in, in terms of taking the right steps in the areas that we really needed them to coming into the season. So, um, okay. Looks like uh, Stacy's internet is struggle busing here. So, um, I'm just gonna keep talking like a fucking idiot. Um, I don't know. I, I I would say that in terms of like things I haven't liked, I I would the Sims at the four stuff has been weird. I get it to some extent, and like. I'm not totally against him just working with it, but it's not what I would have 
preferred to give some of these minutes to. I do think that he's limited a little bit in terms of Josh Hart's not. He didn't play the first game. He's clearly on some type of limit for the second game. Um, even in that sense, like I would have preferred to see us put RJ at the floor and play smaller units. I also have not loved that Evan Fournier has been coming in before Deuce McBride. I know they're not exactly the same position, but like I just don't really get. Well, how that. much do you think? Do you think that is affected at all by the fact that Fournier has been pretty vocal about wanting minutes, and you're like pacifying him to that extent, whereas Deuce isn't on that level right now? Or, or, you know, Deuce isn't complaining, or that's not an unstable situation. Um, maybe I, I don't know. I, I mean, this is like if if Evan Fournier is such a big problem, then just send him fucking home. Like, you don't need to. Kiss yeah, but this, this is guy preseason, down. right? I think. I mean, I don't. Right, do you but, think but, but if, you, if you're giving him, but if over... if the issue is like we're like, oh, we have to give him minutes to placate him. Well, it's like, look, let's just put this out there. I think everybody in the NBA is very keenly aware of what Evan Fournier does well and what he doesn't do well. I don't think anything he does in preseason is going to affect that. I would yeah, venture to I mean, say it's it's kind of maybe he feels like he got a chance, like because I think Deuce Deuce was clearly ahead of him in the pecking order last year, right? I don't know what would have happened to make that change. The only thing that happened was Deuce turning off uh, or just destroying Donovan Mitchell for five minutes um, in a in a playoff game. So I wonder if it's just they're like, all right, you want a shot? Here's your shot. You only get one chance. Do not miss your chance. To blow. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't think I, I just don't think he needs a shot. Like we know what he is. What what are we learning about? Well, this? For like, his we own, know we, for the, to manage so, that relationship. So he feels like he got a shot. You know? Yeah, I, I don't care about managing that relationship. Like I would just tell him to fucking go home. Like there's no point. What is the like? First of all, his agent isn't even some like power agent or something. Uh, like, what are we worried about? If we disrespect Evan Fournier 10 years from now, Victor Wambanyama won't come to New York or something. Like, I don't know what like relationship there is so important. It, 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 I'm not saying like be an asshole to the guy, but if it's, if it's to the point where you're like, well, we have to give him minutes because he's here, even in preseason at the expense of somebody like Deuce, who quite frankly is also in a contract year. Um, actually helped us win ball games last season versus didn't help us win ball games last season. And as a younger piece that you also like again, you have to make a decision on potentially moving forward. Like I just think any minute any bit of information you can get on Deuce is more valuable than any bit of information you get on Evan. Any second of Deuce on the floor is more valuable to your short and long term than any second of Evan on the floor. So uh, that's the only thing I would say is weird. Do I now I I'd probably think you're i mean you are probably right it is probably like them doing him a solid or them treating him professionally with some professional courtesy and whatever and i understand that has value but like i also think just telling him to fuck off and and that that would have value too uh maybe not the best way of doing business though but i'm just i don't want to talk about evan fournier like i don't want to to see anytime he hits a three and then we have to like you know oh like this guy should have he could have helped us in the Miami series. He could have, like, no, he's good enough. No, he's definitely good enough. Um, like, it's just, and his defense is still fucking abominable. Like, he can't move at all. So, I, I just, to me, there's just, it, it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to, again, I, I'm not really losing my mind over this stuff, but um, I will say if the regular season comes around and, you know, let's say we have an injury or 
let's say that Tibbs wants to go with the 10-man rotation to start the season. If the 10th man is Evan Fournier instead of Deuce, that would be very, very annoying. If we have injury issues and Evan Fournier is the guy that steps in over Deuce, that would also be annoying. Um, if it was Jericho Sims over... Like, it, it just... I, the Evan stuff is just so worthless to me. Like, I, I just don't see the point in playing this guy at all. Um, but, you know, maybe Tibbs sees something with that. Who the hell knows? I think if Tibbs saw something with him, we wouldn't have seen the... All I'm saying is, I think that if this is more... Evan's been pretty vocal. Um, there are other players who have spoken up. Rudy Gobert most recently. Uh, I think it's just more to, to give him a shot. Rudy uh, Gobert said something about Evan Fournier? Oh, you didn't see this? Like, Rudy Gobert said, um, you know, I don't know why they're not playing him. You know, he's really good at what he does. I don't know. Uh, he can... Uh, let me get the full quote. Um, you know, he can bring things that others can't bring. No, he can. Um, he can. He can really nuke a defense. Oh, he, so really this is that. so on Bleacher Report. It's listed as uh, Rudy Gobert. He called the situation disrespectful. I think he can contribute. This is the quote. I think he can contribute and help a lot of teams. I think everybody knows it, but it's kind of weird when you end up on the bench and you don't really know why. Sometimes you can be stuck in a situation. I know he's going to have an opportunity again, and everyone will stand understand that he can help and win, and he can do it at a high level and do it every night. Can Rudy Gobert shut the fuck up? How about that? How, Are you saying that? Rudy Gobert doesn't know the importance of defense? I don't think Rudy Gobert understands fucking anything that matters. Um, he can go fucking cry about not getting a defensive player of the year award like a fucking loser. Um, he can go have no respect from anybody of worth in the NBA like he doesn't have anymore or maybe ever had. He also um, said, sorry, let me just continue the quote. He's the best shooter on the team. He's the best shooter on the Knicks in terms of pure three point shooting. I think he's the best. What is what is what is pure three point shooting? Is there like hybrid three point shooting? Like I, I'm just kind of like, is there is this like a you know a, an electric car situation? Got like hybrid vehicles here. Like what what is he talking about? Can he look? This guy's a fucking idiot. Um, he can't help the team win. We know this because we literally fucking witnessed it last year. Um, he was terrible. He was awful. He couldn't move. He didn't shoot well. He doesn't shoot well unless he gets consistent minutes. And to give him consistent minutes means it has to come at somebody else's expense. Who? Why would we do that? What is the benefit of really? Oh, he's a great shooter, so we should play him. Okay. Like, there are plenty of great shooters in the NBA that don't play a lot of minutes. There are plenty of great shooters in the NBA that don't even play. Like, this happens routinely. This is not unique to the Knicks. And I get Rudy's just doing himself, like, doing his you know, friend and, and, you know, countryman and, and colleague, a, a, a solid by gassing him up here, but he should probably shut the fuck up and worry about his own fucking bullshit ass franchise. And he can fuck off is what I'm saying. Like if he wants to sing fucking sonnets about Evan Fournier, good for him. But like Tib said, the net rating was pretty good without him. And the Knicks record without him was also pretty good. And 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 when he got chances again, which he did get chances again, like let's not act like he never played again. You know, when they were shorthanded, he got on the floor quite a bit. He even had a really good moment for them, for us, I should say, uh, against Philly. 
against the, the 76ers in a, in a, in a nice Sunday. Uh, Sunday. It wasn't a matinee. It was a, it was more of an evening game, but like, who cares on Like, okay. If you play any NBA player enough, they're going to have moments that you're like, wow, he really helped us win that game. That's how it works. That's why Kelly Oubre keeps fooling people into <laughs> thinking he's a good player. Like, yeah, if you play Kelly Oubre heavy minutes for a full season, guess what? He's going to have like 15, 20 games where you're like, wow, he may, he may have helped us win that game. And then guess what? The other fucking 60 games this season, you're going to want to like blow your brains out watching him because he's terrible. And that's what, what what it was like watching Evan Fournier last year. Like, yeah, you can point out individual like sequences or games that you're like, well, he played well then. Yeah, he did. Guess what? NBA basketball isn't about individual sequences. It's not about one game. Shit, it's not about one week. It is about fucking winning minutes. Like, win your minutes. That's what that's what it's about. It's not about anything else. It is about do you help your team win your minutes when you're on the floor? And Evan Fournier, for all the skills he has as a shooter, oh, sorry, a pure three-point shooter, um, for all the skills he has that he sucks at everything else. He sucks at – he's also like an awful decision-maker. This is the other part of it. He's a terrible decision-maker. Every time that guy gets the ball on offense and doesn't immediately put up a three, I'm like – he starts dribbling. I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be a fucking mess. And he he's – He's a god-awful defender. Like, he cannot defend at all anymore. He, he couldn't move. He can't move. He can't get around the screen. Constantly dies on him. He doesn't fucking rebound. I mean, unless you're comparing him to, like, Cam Reddish. Uh, like, he doesn't rebound. He, he doesn't do anything at an acceptable level other than shoot the three-pointer. And, like, yeah, could the Knicks use a guy that can spread the floor? Fine. But, like, not if it comes at the expense of basically everything else. So, um... If Rudy Gobert loves him so much, maybe he can talk to Tim Connolly. I am sure the Knicks would gladly give up Evan Fournier for very, very minimal draft compensation, which is good because that is all the draft compensation that the fucking pathetic Minnesota Timberwolves have. What about Ant? Or Fournier for Ant? Or Jalen McDaniels? Yeah, Fournier for Jalen McDaniels. Yeah, I'll do that. It'll be, it'll be a good trade. Um, very, very okay with making that trade. I mean, is, is Forty even a better shooter than DiVincenzo? That's another thing, right? Especially when you take into account range and kind of... Yeah, I mean, he time. probably is, if you just consider like some of the like crazy movement threes that Evan can hit, and, you know, can he shoot over a contest better and all that type of stuff? Sure. But, like, the edge is so meaningless if that's... Like, this isn't Steph Curry. It's not Clay Thompson. It's not, like... I mean, it's not even Kyle Korver. He's like he's not a Kyle Quarter level shooter. He's not a JJ Redick level shooter. He's not one of these guys. So and those guys are all probably slightly better defenders than I, I would think. I would I would think so. I would think that you were a slightly better defender than <laughs> potentially. Also, like he's not good at anything other than shooting. And I'm sorry, like it's over. Like you, if he needs to go play somewhere, that's fine. Like maybe he can go to Miami. And you know what will happen, right? He'll go to Miami, and Eric Spoelstra will somehow have him draining like eight threes in, you know, game four against the Celtics, and Joe Mazzulla loses his mind. But like, it's it's over for him here, and and that's fine. Um, it just it is what it is. Like we signed a guy, it didn't work out. Okay, it happens. And and guess what? We have better players, we have better options, and we have a better like team in the sense of. The pieces make a lot more sense together without Evan. And like 
they're more athletic. They're younger. They can get up the floor. They can defend. They can switch positions. They can do more things on both sides of the ball that make them more versatile without Evan. Like, we already have Brunson, who is so good offensively that you accept that you have to account for him on defense. You have to cover for him. You have to, you know, you have to build your structure in a way that minimizes and mitigates his weaknesses. That is acceptable because of how insane of an offensive player he is. You kind of had to do that last year with Julius because he was being lazy. And that was fine because he played at such a high level offensively, right? Like, if you need to be covered for on defense to the degree that Evan would need to be covered for on defense, you better be giving me crazy offensive value. And the fact that he doesn't, and the fact that you we already have at least one guy for sure in Brunson that we will always have to mitigate, um, it makes it even less appealing or useful to, to consider playing uh, Rudy Gobert's best friend uh, any serious minutes or role on this next team. Yeah, I think most people would agree with that. Um, so going forward, um, but I mean, in your heart of hearts, you don't actually think Fournier is ahead of McBride in the rotation, right? I don't think so, but I know Tibbs does weird things. So like, you know, again, I, am I'm, I'm like, there are things I think, um, during preseason and I'm just trying not to like actually be upset about any of them because it's preseason. It doesn't matter. But if he is ahead of him in the rotation to start the year or, you know, whatever the rotation may be, if he's ahead of him in just whatever the packing order, be it rotation, be it you're the first kind of situational dude that steps in. Um, yeah, that will be annoying to me. That would be very annoying to me because I think Deuce is literally just, if Deuce shot, if you told me, if you guaranteed me right now, Deuce will shoot average from three this year. Guaranteed. No question. That player is significantly more valuable than Evan Fournier will ever be anymore in his career. Like, once upon a time, Evan Fournier was a very good player. He's a very good player. But now he, he that time is over. You know, it's it's done. And and it's Deuce McBride's time now. Now I mean look, I'm not I'm joking, obviously, but like Deuce if he hits shots, the guy is a, just a more useful player because he has real utility on defense, right? And that is a lot more useful than whatever Evan's going to give us because we like Evan's a known commodity. There's no upside there. There's no oh well, what if? Like no, there's no what if. We know exactly what he is and, and what he will be and what he will, you know, be moving forward. The only thing that might happen is he might get slower and and worse defensively, like and less capable of getting off the volume that he does from three. That's the only things that will change. Nothing else is going to change. He's not going to get better. Yeah. Um, and, um, well, I think, you know, the Knicks have two more uh, preseason games before the regular season starts. Um, is there anything you'd like to see? You know, more experimentation? Because that is, that is something worth bringing up, is that, and you said these are low stakes, but we know how um, notoriously kind of set in his ways Tibbs can be right uh, he doesn't experiment a whole lot during the regular season is there any in particular you haven't seen yet that you'd like to see him try just for the you know, sake of it uh, I mean I think it's been pretty weird he hasn't like he hasn't mixed in Grimes with the bench much at all which I think is weird um, again I, I or no, I don't want to say I keep saying it's weird it's it's just weird 
for me, but I kind of understand it in terms of like how Tibbs operates. I, I do think he really values using preseason to play the units together as much as he can. But like, I would like to see Grimes more at the bench a little bit. Yeah, sure. I would like to see that mixed in. I, I am annoyed that they have not played quickly Deuce Grimes together, those three together at all. I don't think in preseason. Um, do you think I, it's ever going to happen? Because of the height challenges. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I would assume that it could happen. I mean, he he's used it before. He used it last year. It was really, really effective the last two years when they've had to use it. Um, I don't know if, given uh, full health, will we see that? Probably not. But, you know, if we're talking about developing, if you want to give certain, like, it, this is where the logic just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, okay, if you want to say he wants to give the Jericho Sims the four unit a look, I don't love it, but fine. Okay, I get it. That's his prerogative. But if, you're, if we're talking about giving lineups looks because we might need them, like isn't that one that you just want to like throw out there and just make sure they're still good to go together? And like, I mean, forget that. Like, I'd like to see, you know, quickly, Divincenzo Grimes. I'd like to see Brunson Divincenzo Grimes. I'd like to see a lot of different combinations that we just haven't seen much of in preseason. Um, yeah, it's and not for, for last year, the lineup Schwinn is referring to quickly. Grimes McBride played 181 minutes last year. Uh, this is uh, including transition and garbage time, so um, you know some noise. But it was 181 minutes, and they had a plus 18 net rating, uh, 118 offensive, 100 um, defensive rating. So, um, and not a whole lot of three point luck. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, it was a pretty effective lineup last year. Yeah, and they were pretty good the year before, too. So, like, I, I just, again, those are just very micro-level things I'd like to see. More combinations. Because we do have, if you consider, like, Randall as the, the only true four, right? And everything else is more or less guys that are flexible and can mix and match and whatever. Then you're talking about, like, six guys in that rotation that, you can throw out any combination of them or within reason and it should work right between Brunson quickly, DiVincenzo, RJ Grimes and Hart. If you want to throw Deuce into that mix, that's seven. Like, and, and to not really just actually experiment more with those groupings is a little bit frustrating. Um, but look, this is Tibbs. So these are things Tibbs does. Uh, I, again, I'm trying not hard not to really, upset about it right now because it's not worth it. If it continues into the season, then I think it's a different situation. And that's something that we can get upset about then. Do you think it's a possibility experiments more with that? Or do you think the last two games will be more about giving, you know, whether it's Jacob Toppin or Jalen Martin, some of these other guys more of a chance and and resting, you know, even a guy like Rhymes or uh, McBride who, who have already kind of gotten their shot. No, I, I don't think he gives a shit about make, giving Jacob Toppin opportunities <laughs> and Jalen Martin and these guys. I don't think he gives a fuck about that. He's going to use these two games. I would venture to guess that Brunson, Randall, and Hart. maybe Hart. I think those three guys will only play one of these two games. And I imagine it'll be the Boston game. And probably Mitch, I guess, maybe, right? Or you think Mitch still plays? I think Mitch will play. I think Mitch will play. I wouldn't play him, actually. I mean, I, I, whatever. I think mean, you can get hurt doing anything. Like, 
I, I think it's fine if you want to play Mitch. But I, I think those three guys will only play one. And I think they'll play the Boston game because that's a better tune-up game than I think we played Washington in the last one, last preseason game, um, which who cares. But, yeah, I, that's that's what I think. So you might see like a lot more just random experimentation in that last one because I imagine Quick will play. I imagine RJ will play. I imagine Grimes will play. Like I think even Chenzo will definitely play. So I think you'll see a little bit more experimentation there. Um, but this next game, I imagine, will be the closest we will get to an unveiling of what is our rotation, what does it look like. I think we'll, we'll get a pretty decent idea of it here. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's worth noting that and this is a different situation. That was obviously a new team. Quickly didn't play his first preseason game. He's a healthy scratch. Um, the second game is where we saw that, oh, this guy's going to be a rotation guy, right? So um, is there no one, I mean, I guess, you know, I know you don't follow the drafts as much. Do you, do you think there's a remote possibility maybe someone who hasn't got much time can kind of carve out a role based on what you've seen from them in, in very limited? I mean, do you see that for a guy like Jacob Toppin? I mean, not not this year, but like long term. I think Toppin's really interesting. Um, he's definitely a profile that we don't have. I think he's he's more he's a lot closer to me to not like, Tibbs was never gonna like severely cut into Randall's minutes, right? For for anybody, but I think especially for a guy like Obi, who he just flat out did not think was a good defensive player or not a good enough defensive player probably viewed him as somebody who could be physically overpowered defensively in a way that I think he's uncomfortable, that he's very much uncomfortable with. Not, not a good rebounder. Like I think he saw all those things and he was just never kind of his type of, he was never going to cut into his minutes in a way that may, that, that mattered at all. Obviously Toppin is this Toppin, Jacob Toppin is a lot further away. He He's extremely far away from ever earning a consistent role from Tibbs, but if you just if we're just talking about the type of player he is, the skills he has, all of that, he to me is somebody I could actually imagine him being like. I, Randall's still my guy, but he, maybe he doesn't need to play thirty four minutes tonight. Maybe he can play thirty one, um, just because he he does have better instincts defensively, and he he looks like stronger to me. Like he he looks like he holds up better defensively. Uh, I think he doesn't have the high hips that Obi does, so he's less susceptible to getting pushed around. He's definitely more fluid through the hips also, so his lateral agility is better. And, yeah, like I, I think if you're telling me like long-term this guy would be an NBA player, that wouldn't shock me um, at all. Like I, I think there's some skills there that are very intriguing and the overall package is intriguing, but is that going to happen with the Knicks? Not this year, that's for sure. And um, that's okay. Like they, that was never going to happen for him this year. Yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to discuss on the Knicks preseason? Not really, man. The Knicks preseason to me is just like, just get it over with. Just let these guys be healthy and let's start playing some real games. Makes sense. Um, I will say I'm I'm like very interested to see uh, this Bucks team 
I saw a little bit of them yesterday during the halftime of one of the dumbest games of football I've ever had to endure. Um, I assure you, there was one that was a lot dumber right before. So. Nah, no, I don't know, man. I, I, it, I'm sure it was dumber for you, for sure. Um, but that was just very, very for dumb both teams. Game. I think the Gi- I mean, Giants fans probably hated it as much as they did. So, oh yeah, I'm sure they probably had, they probably hate the fact that they have to like care that they probably deserve a defensive pass interference call at the end of the game. It's like. Yeah, I mean it's a bad call, but kind of helps us maybe get Caleb Williams. So who who's to say? Or what's McCarthy bad? is is yeah. Caleb Williams QB one anymore? I don't know. <laughs> I I thought he looked really really. I I he seems like he gets a little shook in big spots. I'll say that. Um, but like you know you know I, I was watching it and like you could tell they were still they're definitely still like getting used to playing with each other and they there were some sequences of like. Dame overpassing, where it's like there was one I saw where it, it was everybody though. So he's like, they ran a pick and roll, they trapped him, so then he threw it to Giannis. Giannis drove, he threw it to Brook Lopez, who had a corner three. He didn't shoot the three, he passed it to Dame. Dame had a look from the wing, and then instead of just shooting it, he put the ball on the floor and then kicked it out to somebody else. And by that time that happened, the the shot clock expired. But like, even within that sequence, I was like, "Well, they got an open corner through. They got an open driving lane for Giannis. They got an open corner three for Brooke. Then they got an open wing three for Dame." And I know, like, you know, it's preseason. I'm sure the Lakers weren't necessarily as locked in as they will be, and LeBron wasn't playing. But like, when you see sequences like that, I'm just like, "Man, that is going to be a fucking nightmare to play against." Because who the hell? Like, there's nobody that actually has the personnel to to defend them right like it's kind of boston has more talent overall but it's kind of one of those things where it's like i don't even if well, you I mean, constantly... if had robert williams that would have been nice against some of those pick and rolls yeah no for sure but it's like if you i mean you can't do this right if you concentrated all the talent on a team into like one pile right would boston's pile be higher than milwaukee's pile Probably not. They'd probably be around the same. But, like, would you rather evenly distribute the pile of talent along more pieces that Boston has, or would you rather concentrate it more in the way that, that Milwaukee has? And, like, you know, basketball in the long for forever, the idea has been, like, the best, the team with the best talent, individual talents, usually comes out on top. But this will be an interesting test case scenario. Um, just because Boston's top end talent is really fucking good, also not as good, but it is really fucking good. But also, like Damon, Giannis have never played with people as good as each other. They're also calling it freak time, which, like, come on, what are we doing? Um, but, but yeah, like I just watching that them for a little bit yesterday uh, to end the second half or the first half, sorry, second quarter was like. Yeah, that team is going to be really hard to defend. And even Boston, like, they don't... Yeah, okay, you can tell me that Drew can defend Dame. They don't really have somebody now that... Other than Horford, who's, you know, he's old. I don't know how much you can really depend on him to do it. They don't have as many guys that can slow down Giannis like they did in the past. I thought Robert yeah, Williams always... Gabriel, don't they? <laughs> yeah, the, the Giannis stopper. But yeah, like, they, they had... 
you know, Robert Williams is the guy that you could throw on him. Grant Williams is the guy that gave him trouble. Like, and now it's just Big Al. And I know Porzingis is a rim protector. Yeah, he's a rim protector, but you can't put him on Giannis. Giannis will fucking just body him. Like, Randall bodies him. What is Giannis going to do to him? You know, like, you can't just put Porzingis on him. And I, I like the other part, too, that I've, I've found kind of interesting is there's that series from, I think it was the 2018 playoffs. So that was when Dame is obviously with the Blazers and Drew is with the Pelicans still. And Drew had him in hell. I mean, that was like one of, that might have been Dame's worst playoff performance, playoff series anyway, ever. And while I, I think that is meaningful to some degree, the Blazers did not have anybody as good as Giannis uh, that could like take away any focus. And he had Anthony Davis behind him. You know, it's not like he was just like it's him by himself. Like Anthony Davis behind him helps a lot. Um, you know, anchoring the defense. So like, yeah, I know he'll have Porzingis here, but they have Giannis. So you're gonna have to like that. Just means you cannot key in on Dame in the same way. And you know, like I'm sorry, like we 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 saw Brunson give give Drew buckets last year on multiple occasions. And obviously, we think Brunson's amazing. But if you think Dame is a superior offensive player to, to Brunson, I don't really see why I should believe that like Drew is uniquely. Uh, oh no, they have Drew now. Now Dame will never be able to score. And this, like, I, I don't see that. I think that's kind of like a nonsensical argument. And I, I just again like watching that game against the Lakers yesterday. I know it's preseason, but you can just see the way they open up the floor for each other, and it's so dangerous. Yeah, and it's like to your point on the overall talent stack, generally in basketball, that matters more. Um, for example, like football, overall talent, I think, matters less than where you can specifically attack a team, right? Like specific matchups can tilt and skew things away from an overall talent disparity. Um, this seems to be a situation where it's more like that, where uh, just how you defend those two guys playing together and what they can do off of that seems very difficult. Um, you know, if you're Tom Thibodeau, it's very likely the Knicks may have to face these Bucks. You know, how are you looking at defending that team? You know, that play, let's start with, right? Just Giannis and Dame running a pick and roll. Pray. Just pray. Is that, that's that's is that it. Possible? Heart. Yeah. I mean, miles and miles of heart. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the Lakers were blitzing them a bunch yesterday, which I thought was an interesting strategy. But, like, if you're blitzing, then you're giving up chances for Giannis now to attack a defense that's not just bent, but at a numerical disadvantage. Is that really what you want to do? Um, like, I get the idea of let's turn Giannis into a playmaker or something, but I don't know, man. I don't know if you want Giannis... I don't know if you want to gift Giannis uh, Draymond the coverages Draymond gets, you know, like that's really tough. <laughs> you can't go under on Dame. So that is out the window. If you go over, <laughs> Dame is good enough to get into the paint and make plays through there. And now you're scrambling or he just gets to the rim and finishes. Um, if you switch, good luck. You know, but with whoever they decide to attack, if Dave wants to attack him, or if Giannis decides to attack whoever was guarding Dave, just good luck. I think it's tough. I think you're going to have to have, 
it, it can't be a thing where you're like, we just play this two on two. Like, no, your entire team needs to be very, very locked in when those guys are involved in an action together. Otherwise, they're going to burn you. And, um, you know, it, it's, I don't envy being a coach that has to coach against this Milwaukee Bucks team, no matter what defensive talent you have. And, like, if you're Boston, again, like, even if you think Derek White, Derek White and Drew are like, Drew, obviously, Derek White, two of the better on ball defenders in the league. And even then, like, let's say those were the, you're just like, hey, let's put those two guys on. We'll put one on Giannis, we'll put one on, on Dame. Like, I don't know. Like, it still feels like you're giving up a well, big I mean, size mismatch. Can't guard Giannis, right? So. Right. That's, and that's my point. Like, Tatum can't guard like, Giannis. If they had Anthony Davis, maybe that would matter. Yeah. If you have Anthony Davis, then yeah, you can do a lot of things. If you had Draymond, you can do a lot of things. But like, they just don't, and, and like, this is not specific to Boston. Most teams, uh, yeah, this might surprise you. Most teams do not have a guy that can uh, defend Giannis <laughs> very well. So it's tough. Like, I, funny enough, the Knicks, like, Randall actually did a really good job on him last year in the game they played in New York, even though he also combined that with one of his worst shooting efforts of the season. Um, but the thing is, Dale isn't. Um... Giannis is kind of more of a power, like he is more of a. There isn't a whole lot of trickery to his game, right? So for a guy, well, did like you Randall, see the did you see the move that he's been working on with Hakeem in the lab? No, I'm not. <laughs> Good because it was not a great move. It was like they like they. I think it was like what is it NBA Central or Dunk Central or whatever they call themselves now. They clipped it and it was like, oh, he's been in the lab with Hakeem, and it was the worst drop step back into a like it just so uncoordinated and. Gross, and it worked because it's like Giannis, but it's just like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe you need to, maybe another summer. Maybe you need to do another summer with Akeem. But yeah, like, that's not a bad matchup for Randall. Um, we haven't tried Mitch on Giannis a lot, right? We have. He's got into foul trouble, which makes sense given kind of like Giannis is just going to run into you and and do HP dive. And it's also tough because Mitch still like. The thing with Mitch is like he's always gonna have help responsibilities, right? So if you help and you're late coming back, Giannis is gonna get the foul on you. Like that's not even Mitch really. That's just his role on the defense. He's also like Giannis is a good rebounder, but I don't think he's like a particularly like you like he's not somebody when you think of oh, who are the great offensive rebounders in the NBA, right? He's not somebody you're like, oh Giannis. Brooke Lopez is a really good offensive rebounder if you don't put a body on it. And so if you put Mitch on Giannis, then Randall has to now box out Brooke. And he's strong enough to do it, but it's more than just being strong enough. Like, you've got to be attentive. You've got to be – it's what it's it's such a mundane activity. That is one of those activities that I could imagine Julius being like, eh, I don't really want to do that today. I don't feel like boxing out Brooke Lopez. Uh, it's just, like you mentioned, between the kind of what you're sacrificing in terms of his help responsibility – and what I think allows Brooke Lopez then to start stealing extra possessions for them, I'm not sure you want to go down that path too much. Um, now, in spots, like, you know, if Randall's off the floor, sure, then, then you do that. But, you know, we've seen Giannis just be a handful for a lot of big-ass centers, not just Mitch. Like, we saw he, – he gave Hartenstein work last year, too, and Hartenstein's a big dude. So, like – it just is what it is. You're never going to stop Giannis. You're just going to have to try to 
contain him the best you can. And I do feel like Randall can be annoying about a lot of things. He would get, he would be pretty focused. I think he'd be pretty jacked up to face off on Giannis. Like if you were like, hey, you're this is your matchup. You've got to defend him. That's actually one dude I would not worry too much about. Like he's not going to compete defensively, or he'll you know he's not going to. I I think he would compete. I think he would kind of relish that matchup in a lot of ways. And so I would be. I'm I'm very curious to see how they play this out. The guard stuff though, man, with Dame, I have no idea what the hell we're going to do. Well, I mean, they got, they have some good point of attack options. They got Grimes. Um, they have Deuce for however long they want to use him. <laughs> um, you know, Mitch was much better. I wonder if they they would go back. They have Dante. Have what? They have Dante. Well, Dante and Quickly are ideally off ball guys, but you know, those are guys who can play on ball pretty effectively. So they have some options and they have some some bodies to throw there. Um, it's uh, it's also the bigs. Like I, I think Mitch is capable more of hedging. It's not something that Tibbs goes to a lot, but when they've tried it, I think Mitch is incapable. Um, Sims has that in his bag. Hartenstein has shown that. Although I think you'd probably like Hartenstein and drop. Drop is probably a bit of a non-starter against um, Dame. It's also like they have so many good help defenders. To your point, it's not going to be a two-on-two thing. Even if you had Bam and Drew together somehow, right? Um, mm. Those are pro- that's probably your best two man pick and roll defense combination you could make in the league besides like Drew and Anthony Davis, whoever you want to say. Um, you know, do you feel like that? Who, who, I mean, who do you think the Knicks can help off in this kind of supporting cast here? On Drew, or sorry, on Dame, I mean, on that, yeah, on that, if it's a pick and roll with Dame, and be honest. Who are you helping off of? Like, how are you kind of making it? I mean, you you got to help off on whoever. So, like, not Chris or Brooke, right? I mean, I get, ultimately, I think you'd have to chance helping off Brooke, right? Like, if that if the best shot they're getting is a Brooke Lopez three, and he's a good three point shooter, you almost have to live with that, given your other options, right? I would rather give Brooke an open three than Middleton, and the rest of it, I don't know, like. It's funny that Grayson Allen isn't there anymore, which makes their team more likable, which is good. Um, I guess if Portis is in the game, you'd help off Portis, but he's like a pretty decent three-point shooter too. It's just tough. Like It, it is tough what they present, and they're going to put a lot of pressure on you. And you've got to you got to make I – mean, the thing is, if, let, let's say – I don't know who's been starting for them, but let's say Beasley. Let's say Beasley was starting. He's a space cadet on defense, but he's a pretty solid three-point shooter. And uh, that – makes it hard like they they have dudes that can shoot the ball and they're probably gonna be playing a lot of their minutes i think that they have campaign now too um he might be a guy that features in lineups for them like it's tough i i again i don't envy the job of Tibbs in this situation or any coach that has to face off on the team i think they're gonna put pressure on you in ways that a lot of teams don't and like same goes for boston right boston's gonna put pressure on teams in ways that a lot of teams don't because they have a legit five that can spread the floor on top of having Tatum and Brown and, and Holiday now. So, like, these two teams, are stre- they're going to stress defenses to a very, very high level. I'm very interested to see how teams defend them. I think with the, with Boston, it's a little bit easier. You can, pr- you can get away with switching more against their guys than you can, um, I think, with Milwaukee. The upshot for Boston is they 
should be a more solid defensive team than Milwaukee, even with kind of like the personnel Milwaukee has. Um, also worth noting that Milwaukee, I don't think Middleton has played yet, and they also have a rookie head coach. So they have more unknown variables. I know that Missoula is a second-year coach, and obviously he was kind of thrust into that position last year, but he still at least has some. He has the experience. Uh, Adrian Griffin does not have a head coaching experience until now. So how he adapts and how he responds to things, and that'll be very, very interesting to see. Yeah, well, interesting on this play Atlanta too. Is he gonna is he gonna throw the full sink at his son uh, on, on the Hawks? Um, <laughs> that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Um, a lot of the question, kind of getting back to what we were just talking about, um, we should talk about Boston afterwards. But uh, you know, there are several players on the Knicks who said Mitch is their most important player. Uh, you know, he got rated I think fifty spots below Jared Allen. Um, you know, I think me and you have talked about Mitchell Robinson a lot in the past. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if he's their most important player. I think that he brings a very unique skill set, and he's less replaceable, especially for people who want to replace him with like Carly Towns or something. Um, can you just tell me your thoughts on that? Do I think Mitch is our most valuable trade piece? I saw that. I thought that was an interesting. No, article. Th- I don't know about trade piece, but just valuable player. I don't. Did it say? Tra- I think it was the other players on the Knicks saying th- that's the one. I, I about. It might have been. It might have gotten aggregated as trade chip or something like that. Um. Yeah, and there were. Like, I think Grimes said something about him being the most valuable player. I think it was very specifically Grimes. Do I think I don't think he's the most valuable player. Um, and I, this is not a knock on him. We've gone 500 in the last two seasons without him. Um, I believe that is over. I mean, it's over a pretty decent amount of time. I want to say 14 and 14 or something without him over the last two. Which years. is worth yeah. noting. That is it. That is coming down from how the Knicks have actually played, which is nice to say because yes, but I mean, well, if you include if you include the year before, it's well, roughly even, right? If you right. combine the seasons, um, so no, I don't think he's the most valuable piece. We've shown an ability to at least withstand his absence for a little while. Hartenstein, obviously, I think is a starting caliber center. Sims, not so much, but he can buy you minutes and. Um, that's worth noting. I still think like both Brunson and Randall are more valuable. I know, and I've talked to Jeff about this. Jeff would probably disagree. I'm almost positive he would disagree on Brunson being that he doesn't think the gap between him and Quickly is that significant. I think that conversation is kind of like, I don't think it's that straightforward. If you have Quickly as your point guard, he's not going to be capable of the type of high usage scoring binges that Brunson can put up. And that certainly helps you as a basketball team, his ability to do that and do it efficiently. What quickly can do is I think it's easier for other guys to get their numbers when playing with him. And it's in like a more, how it phrases it's in like a more, fluid way, whereas sometimes with Brunson the offense can feel very kind of like segmented. Um and then the other thing is quickly is obviously just a way better defensor defensive player than Brunson. So you get value there too. And so like and I, I do kind of agree with that in the sense of if you're just talking about what player would this team be fucked the most without, I don't think you can say Brunson if you think quickly is like even just a starting caliber point guard. 
So I, I would not. I mean, it's I, I gotta be Randall this year, right? It's like, it's they, Randall, they, like back up for his heart. So. Right to me, it's it's like I think last year there was another that you again you, you wanted to argue. Well, you have Obi, you play a different way, blah blah blah. At least that's more of an argument then. But like now last you're year, this you, year, there's no one. Right, you can't. Have yeah, there's there's none. It, you're, you'd be so undersized. Um, none of those guys has ever played even fifty percent of their minutes at the four. Let alone, hey, you're the starting four now, Josh Hart. So, um, yeah, like that's that's definitely. To me, I think he's clearly the most important player. Uh, I would say Brunson after that. And then, sure, if you want to say Minch, I think that's fair. That's, that's definitely fair to, to put him in there. But I, I would say those two are definitely more important than him. I think there's only two players in the team who, if you told me they didn't play during the Cleveland series, we would have lost it. Brunson and, yeah, Asher Robinson. I think that's the one series we won, and we don't win that. I mean, do you agree with that, or... Do you think the Knicks beat the the Cavs without Mitchell Robinson? I I don't. So I I I say this as somebody who thinks Mitch was a huge reason we won that series, maybe the biggest reason we won that series. I do think we could have won that series without him if you told me we still had another. Like if you if you just take him away from the series and he's gone, and it's there's like maybe not. But if you told me okay he's gone, but you'd have like. You know, a decent center in his place. Oh, so you're telling me a replacement level. So, like, yeah, like I, I think you could have won that series that because I, yeah, because I thought Hartenstein was really good in that series. That is Hartenstein true. was like, like I, I think it, it. I mean, this always happens where you kind of always forget the specifics of a series, but Hartenstein was really I mean, he good. He bodied I mean, those two guys. Too. I mean, yeah, he bodied Allen too. Yeah, when he got the I mean, Hartenstein in games three and four. Like the minutes, I mean, not just him, but when those bench guys came in, we absolutely destroyed them in those minutes. Like that, that in in a lot of ways, those minutes are what won us the series, uh, and the starters kind of more or less played it even. But those those minutes killed it for them, and a huge part of that was Hartenstein. So, like, I think we could have won it. Would it have been a lot harder? Yeah, for sure, because you're going from having two starting caliber centers, one who was absolutely, I mean. To be honest, both of them are dominating them. Um, totally having one, like yeah, it's a big drop off. But I'm I'm a pretty big believer in in Hartenstein, which I can't believe I'm saying, um, which is huge 180. Yeah, I mean I think Hartenstein's really good. So were I think you could have that down on him last year. I remember you wanted him to. You were. I don't think you ever were that out on him. Right? I was pretty out on him, man. I just was like, man, this guy is not boxing anybody out. He makes the dumbest decisions. He still makes decisions at least once or twice a game that I'm like, okay, all right, sure. Jokic of the East over here. But, well, you guys, no, he's, you watch Josh Allen, so it must be the same feeling, right? So, once is, in a while, you got to live with some crazy decisions. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit, little bit different uh, talent difference between Josh Allen and Isaiah <laughs> Hartenstein. But, um, yeah, I mean, Mitch was, Mitch was awesome, but. Do I think he's more valuable than Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle? No, I, I don't. I think that's a little bit much. But I, I like if I gave Quentin Grimes truth serum and was like, "Tell me who honestly is the most valuable Nick." I don't know if he's going to say Mitch. I don't even know the context of what he was asked. Like it feels like it sounded like a question where they asked him something about Mitch, and he just was like giving a the good teammate I mean, answer. Do you, think, of like, do you think these guys pay attention to, when they see Mitchell Robinson ranked one hundredth in the league? Do you think these guys are looking at that? And maybe that's kind of because it does sure feel like he's underrated. 
Oh, I'm sure they are. Any, anybody that tells you they're not looking at that is lying. Um, also, Mitch, great answer. I'm him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the funniest thing about that is like when I saw that ranking, I was like, man, that's so disrespectful. And Mitch is just like, yep, I'm him, bro. Number 100. <laughs> Well, yeah. uh, uh, but yeah, he. I, I'm sure. I'm sure they they they're aware of it. Seems like they were asked about it. At least Mitch was asked about it. Obviously, I don't know if Grimes was. Um, these guys are all online, you know. Like they they know exactly what's happening, what people are talking about. So I'm sure that they they're aware of it. So yeah, I mean, maybe they said that. Maybe he was intentional to say that. But I also think he just. I. It sounded like he got asked a question about Mitch, and he answered it in a very very nice nice way. Which good on Quentin Grimes. Cool. Um, I know you're. Um, you know, without disclosing too much or spoiling anything, I know you're working on some stuff on Hartenstein. Um, can you? So going into like you're talking about, you did kind of a 180. What do you? Um, what do you kind of envision for him? Without uh, maybe giving any way anything away too much about what you're writing about. I mean, I don't think it's too much different from like what we've seen from him in this preseason. Uh, I like, you know, defensive rebounding has come a long way from whatever the hell it was to start last season. I think he, his box out rate got really, really high. Um, especially in the back half of the year. He was, he was really good about that. He was close to Mitch. They were both top yeah. 10, I believe. So yeah, which is nuts. Uh, I just want to see more of him facilitating, uh, from the top of the key when, when we're in the half court, because I think you want to encourage movement. That bench unit, especially, I think needs to be, they need to keep things moving and keep guys, you know, active. And it sometimes can descend into like the quickly show or the RJ show. And, you know, there, there are periods those guys can get away with it and, and help carry us offensively, but the, the team's offense is not, has not been good doing that. So, you need to find ways to juice it. And I think, yes, it's all well and good to be like, we're going to play fast. We're going to run the floor and we want to get out in transition and blah, blah, blah. But like 90% of the game is not going to be played in transition. So you need to find ways to juice your offense in the half court. And I think Isaiah Hartenstein with that, with that group is, is really the, he's such an easy way to, to, to lean into something else. And we already saw that, like he hit RJ on a beautiful pass on the cut. We saw in the first game he dimed up Deuce a few times. Like he's a really good passer if you put movement around him, but you've got to put movement around him and you've got to trust him. And that was probably the hardest part about the start of last season, whereas like it's hard to trust him when he was playing the way he was. But as the season went on and he started playing better and he started playing better, I think you saw not just him be more comfortable doing more things. I think you saw more faith in the coaching staff for him to do more things. And I think he's more faith from his teammates to do things. So um, he's built up that credit now in the bank and, you know, hopefully he carries it forward because to me, like if you're talking about like the Knicks finished third in offensive rating last year, a lot of that was about we, as we've talked about numerous times, really good shot selection and um, dominant offensive rebounding teams are going to be more prepared for them to be an offensive rebounding team this year. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be a dominant offensive rebounding team this year, but it might be a little bit harder for them. They might not be quite as dominant. And to offset that, on top of a variety of other reasons, you could be like, you know, oh, Randall will not be as efficient, and uh, 
maybe quickly in RJ and Grimes, like they're still good, but they don't take the step that you're hoping for them to take. So there, there are reasons to, to believe that the, the aggregate could come down. So ways you need to offset that are to find different tactical approaches. And I think Hartenstein's ability to facilitate and just be another offensive hub um, is one that can really help if the Knicks lean into it and they're committed to it. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, no, we talked a lot about uh, a bunch of the Knicks. Anything we've left out or, or that you want to mention um, going into this season? I mean, this is the problem with this team. We've been talking about this fucking nine-man roster for like, what? What is it? Rotation. Three, yeah, nine-man rotation for fucking three-plus months now. And I'm just ready to see them play real basketball. That's it. I'm just really ready for them to play new basketball or play real basketball. Um, the three-point shooting obviously definitely needs to be better than it has been. Um, the I, Their numbers against Minnesota look okay. They went 13-35 to 35 as a team. But, you know, take out Deuce, who went 4-4 four four in the fourth quarter, and now all of a sudden you're 9-31, of 31, right? Like, so you want to get the percentage Deuce up. Deuce is a great shooter. We'll, we'll find out this year, one or the other. Um, but you want to get the percentages up from three for sure. So, you know, quickly, RJ, those two guys need to have some a good year from three. Grimes still hasn't found the range yet. I'm not worried about that because it's like, that's his thing. Like, I just think the sample and his track record is big enough that you don't need to worry about him shooting well from three. But, I mean, that's I the big thing you need to keep getting at him attempts, though. Like, we can't go through too many. He gets one or two attempts a game. Yeah, I mean, look, that's on him, though, too. That's on him, though, too. Like, he, there was one yesterday, like, the, the first bucket they made in that Minnesota game, he got a, he got the ball wide open in the corner, and, like, sure, he put it on the deck, and he attacked the rim, and he finished, but, like, to me, that's, I don't want to see him put the ball on the deck there. You got an open fucking corner three, buddy. Like, that's as money as it gets. Take the shot. Take the shot. So, I, he needs to really, like, get this into his head that, when you're when he's open from three, there should be no hesitation. There should be no there should be no other thought in his head, right? It's obviously, if somebody's running out at you, okay, fine. But if you're open from three, take the shot. You don't need to put the ball on the deck. You don't need to do anything crazy. You just need to go elevate and let it rip. Like that's what he needs to do. I'm not worried about it. I think he, he will find his range. He will be fine. And um, yeah, the Knicks will the Knicks will be well off for it. How about you? Is there anything uh, in particular that you are looking for this upcoming season or that you're worried about? Um, I want to see what Randall can do if he does have to carry the team in the half court. Um, I want to see I think quickly uh, I didn't watch as much as the second game and the first game quickly looked even stronger than he did last year. I want to see that translate to maybe more. I mean, quickly is just I, I mean, we don't know how much time now, so I, we can save this for another pod. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that if quickly went to Portland instead of, and he had the Anthony Simons role, do I think he'd be more well regarded offensively? And I said, yeah, because he probably would have the freedom to let it fly in a way that um, he hasn't. But would he be this level of defender? Like, I do have to give Tibbs some credit for that, right? We know quickly was a great defender in college, has the work ethic, but to be this, you know, one of the best off ball guys in the league. I don't know if that would have happened. And I don't know if he'll, but I think that at some point he's going to be needed to empower to like 
at the end of the day, yeah, like he's become a lot better attacking the rim. He's become a lot like you want him to to be a good playmaker. End of the day, what's really going to make him an offense, like what really is exciting about him as an offensive player is just kind of the threes that no one can defend. When they go under and he's well behind three-point line, you just let it fly. When you're worried about the floater and he can just stop on a dime or he can cross back over and pull up. Um, so a little more, I've been saying this for a while, a little more fuck it in Emmanuel Quick's game. Balanced with still making the right decision. But I, I think that between him and Tim, they're two smart basketball guys. They can get there. Um, I've really liked what I've seen from RJ Barrett a lot. I'd like to see the jump shots just go down a little bit more. But honestly, he's been he's in a close to 62 shooting despite not hitting any threes um, because he's getting the line so much. Um, and then the last thing I'd, I I want to see, I, I want them to commit at some point to Randall being the, I know you wanted to see Grimes with the bench unit, which I agree with. Um, I like Grimes the three, but on kind of a related note, uh, Grimes of the three usually means that there is not going to be an RJ in there or to, to, um, yeah. To, to babysit the bench, which means if it is a bench unit and there's no Brunson, then I want Randall to be that guy. So I think the one thing I really want Tibbs to commit to is rant, staggering Randall because it does a few things. One, I mean, I, I said this, I've said this all offseason. Brunson can score, Brunson is opponent invariant, right? Unless he is the focal point of the defense um, and like a really good defense in the playoffs, like Cleveland, he's not going to be stopped. And he was the focal point of Cleveland. He was the focal point of a really good Miami defense and he still was torching them. So he doesn't need minutes against the bench. Um, Randall can benefit from that though, right? Because there are teams with good offensive players, um, that are going to slow him down. Uh, he is going to be playing off of Brunson. So now that you have this, you have this Randall skill set where he's great on ball, but on the starting lineup, that's probably not his ideal deployment. Put on that second unit and Randall quickly, Grimes and DiVincenzo next to ideally Hardenstein, but even next to Mitch. <laughs> I mean, him with those three shooters, those three guys, Either he gets the rebound, they're guys who run up the floor in transition and find spots. Um, and then, so, I mean, imagine you got Randall coming downhill and you have to worry about quickly or Grimes fanning out on the wings. Um, and you have a Partenstein throwing outlets and, and kind of in the half court acting as a hub. That's a lineup they just, I, if they go through this whole season without using that, um, I, I just don't know how you excuse that. It, it just, it should, especially against bench units, you know, there's, there's you know, some starting lineups that it's not going to do as well against, but that's something I really want to see. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I definitely think that's something they can lean into. And I think the numbers with even, you know, we talked a little bit about quickly deuce Grimes. I think if you look at their numbers and add Randall, even that group was really good last year. Um, and just to quickly add on to your point about quickly and Simons, um, I, I somebody put out a list of like rank these players and among them was quickly. Yeah, and it was some, among them was like quickly and Simons one of the options, and I put quickly above Simons. And I had a few people were like, "That's crazy that you put Simons above or quickly above Simons." And I'll just I'll just say it this way very very quickly. I think when you look at players, yeah, uh, when you look at players, especially when you're talking about offensively, if that player is not good enough to be a first or second option on a contender then they need to provide utility in other ways. That can be as a playmaker. That can be as a plus defender, whatever it is. Simons doesn't do that. Simons is neither capable of being a number one or two option on an offensive, on a contender. Uh, he's not a particularly good distributor. 
and he's a terrible defensive player. And that player, to me, is much less valuable than Emmanuel Quickly, who, yeah, if you want to tell me he's not as good offensively as Simons, sure, I got no problem with that. I would say that that doesn't matter that much when neither of those guys is capable of being a top one or two guy on a championship team. So at that point, yeah, I, my, my point was just more he would be he would oh, probably be launching a lot and he'd be regarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get your point. I'm just saying, like to me, I don't even care about the context of their situations when people are trying to make the comparison because I know that quickly, like inherently, the guy that can contribute on a title team or a contending team or whatever is more valuable than the guy who would have to recalibrate his game and add value in areas that he's been a negative value in so far in his career. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty easy, like, I don't know. Any, if you think Simons is better than him, that's fine. I don't really care. Like, he might be better. If you want to need to have a better lead dog on a bad team, sure, Simons is your guy. If you want to have a guy that actually helps you win basketball games on a good team, quickly is your guy. Um, all right. Anyway, that's enough for today. Um, Stacy, let the people know they can find you and plug anything like the plug. Uh, Stacy Patton eighty nine. Um, we've got a few new pods that I'll plug. Um, strictly NFL, we've plugged a bunch, and I'll reiterate what Schwinn said. Uh, check out takes from obvious bozos. Uh, find out if your take is a bozo take or, or if you're safe. Uh, I've put myself out there on that that Discord channel, um, and it should be a fun pod. So check that out as well, uh, as well as. Uh, the New York Liberty are in the WNBA Finals, just won a game to stay alive, um, 2-1 in elimination. So continue to check all our coverage out from uh, from the great Gigi Spear and Matt Miranda uh, on the strip one. Yeah, I'll echo that. Uh, definitely check out Strictly NFL and definitely check out all the great work that Gigi and Matt are doing uh, covering the Liberty on their hopeful title run here. Um, but... Aside from that, I don't like to plug personally. So, again, definitely check out that stuff. Uh, I will plug our merchandise. I will plug our Discord. I will plug the Patreon. And I will plug Bet Online, our great, 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 great sponsor. All right, that is our show for today. I hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallen. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.